0: You're listening to What She Said with Candace Sampson, a podcast for Canadian women about Canadian women. A mansplaining free zone, What She Said is here to empower, educate, and entertain you. Many of us, especially those of us in the public eye, fear being publicly cancelled, called out or targeted and having the digital mob come calling. Aside from the emotional toll, there is also a real fear of physical violence when hordes of people start to send threatening messages. My next guest, unfortunately, is all too familiar with this reality. Called out on Fox News by one of their more antagonistic hosts, Rithu Basin, woke up one day to thousands of openly hostile messages. President of Piscine Consulting, Inc., an award-winning speaker, author, and expert in diversity and inclusion, Ritu joins me today to discuss her recent experience. Welcome back to the show, Ritu. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. So let's set this up for people listening. Um, This happened on October 12th, roundabout. uh, And what
1: happened? Wow, so this, uh, so I went to bed on a Tuesday night. And uh, by the way, everyone, do not judge my sleep uh, patterns, my sleep health practices. I know they're bad and I have to revamp them. It's a work in progress. But before I go to bed, like a lot of you probably do, we're not supposed to, I check my email and then I go onto Instagram. And I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I did it. And so I, as I go to check my email, I got a notification from one of the, the social media platforms. Someone had sent me a mean message because I could see it in my email inbox. And I was like, that's strange. I I don't get a lot of hate mail. I thought it was strange. I went, I checked it. I, I was like, that's a mean thing to say to me. And I deleted it. And then I went on to Instagram and there were more there. And I was like, this is strange. But I didn't really connect the dots. I went to bed. I woke up Wednesday morning. And my team member, she was up and at it earlier than I was and had sent an email to the full team saying, everyone omg i woke up this morning and she's the one who manages our email inbox as well uh, through our website and had just been flooded with hate messages we and she figured out what had what had happened which is that laura ingram uh, on her evening show the night before had done a 10-minute segment on exposing the DEI racket diversity equity inclusion racket and calling out professionals who work in this space like me and calling out the the ills of critical race theory and she had she did a minute long spotlight on me and my work including Showing a video of me talking about the definition of white supremacy and racism. And that essentially unleashed a storm. So tell me then about the
0: storm, because she has a massive following. Um, of very angry uh, yep. people.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And- That's a very polite way to put it, Candice. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about the storm that okay. that ensued. So, okay, so now it's about 7.45 in the morning and I'm still in bed and I watched the clip. I watched the full, well, I, I went right to the part where I was showcased and I was like, OMG, like what in the actual bleep? And I watched the full segment. I tried to wrap my mind around it. And then I said to my team member, like, what's happening? And she sent me a few examples of what was coming in. Long story short, it has been weeks since. And it it has slowed down. It has started to peter out, thankfully. Um, However, for weeks, we were relentlessly tormented by messages across all of our channels of hate and anger and vitriol and abuse and toxicity racist messages sexist messages messages stigmatizing mental health like it's really it's actually been a really fascinating upsetting like i I can get to the upset in a moment because it is upsetting but it's been also fascinating from the perspective of when people get mad at you for calling out racism. so And I say this um, because you cannot see me, but I'm a woman of color. My parents are from India. We're Punjabi by culture. I, I call myself a brown girl. Like I'm visibly very of color everyone. And then my work in life is to call out racism. It's what I do personally, professionally. Uh, I do this from an empowerment perspective on my, on for example, on Instagram and on my website, com. Like you'll see, I'm very much empowerment focused, but I also work with organizations around the world around how do you be more inclusive? How do you be more, more anti-racist? The piece that I found that was so fascinating is in the hatred that I was receiving, not only were people saying racist things, but also they were, using really sexist, uh, gender-based violence in how they were trying to scare me and put me down and minimize me. In addition to calling me things like crazy, insane, like using really stigmatizing inflammatory language as it relates to mental health experiences. And I just, it's the first time I've been attacked in this way and I mean, I, I hear from other social justice activists and other people who are in the the front lines uh, for whatever reasons. When they when people come for them, that the, the hatred looks really ugly. And so this is the first time in this way I've had people come for me so intensely, and the hatred is really ugly and and. Fascinating, and I talk a lot in my work around the intersection between race and gender. So for example, as women, we know, we know for example, as women journalists, that they constantly get sexist hatred, vitriol coming at them, rooted in gender-based violence. It's interesting here, and this, this is a good example of the intersection between racism and sexism. The overwhelming majority of the messages they were upset with me because i'm calling out racism as a person of color i'm calling out racism but to put me down they were using sexist gender-based violent language as a way to put me down they didn't yes some of it was racist for sure but the focus was you spoke, you woman of color. I'm going to get mad at you and discipline you, punish you, torment you, abuse you. And I'm going to use gender-based violence as a way to do that. Just really fascinating, fascinating. And like upsetting, obviously, and, and, and very um, offensive, but also fascinating.
0: One of the things I found interesting about watching um, the interview with her, and those are nine minutes, by the way, I'll never get back in my life having to watch that interview. It was awful. (laughs) Was how she sort of implies that she's not racist, but then wraps herself up in the language of racism. And and the things, and the way she words things, she is trying to incite and get a reaction, obviously, from people. And about you in particular, she said, what a terrible way to make a living. I know. You know, that That was shocking.
1: Well, the irony is, like, I have a terrible way of making a living. You're the one who works for Fox News. Like, I mean, you incite (laughs) hatred, like, for a living. And I'm, I'm about love. Like, Candace, I am about love. I want to create a world where as many people as possible experience belonging, feel good in their skin, can exhale can belong, like, like that is my jam. It's like, I'm about love. I'm not about hate. Like, you're the one about hate, like, and you're calling my job, like, awful, terrible, like, as if. But you know, I, I just, I think it's really interesting how, how people who watch her, people who intake this type of content that is directly targeted at creating and inciting hate, really get inspired by these types of hateful, offensive messages, and then they take action, which look like, in my case, coming for me and sending me all kinds of hatred and vitriol. And, you know, it just, it really underscores the importance of people taking responsibility for what they say, how they say it, and more. But the problem is, when it comes to the Lauras of the world. This is exactly what they want to have happen. They they want people to come for us because then, if if we're afraid, we'll stop doing what we're doing. Like if it's you, interesting, uh, I'm going to stop you for one second here because I want to mm. just jump in with w-
0: another example recently in Canada, and that was Maxime Bernier, yeah, uh, on Twitter, gave out email addresses of three journalists. Um, And I believe two of them were people of color and they were absolutely bombarded with messages. Now, he received a 12 hour suspension, which I think is absolutely a joke. He should have been suspended forever um, for doing that. Um, But these people now are probably still receiving messages of hate because he he literally that's what he instructed people
1: to do. Yeah, you know it's interesting that that you should share this. Um, someone reached out to me on social media to share her experience. She had just experienced a loss in her life and had posted about it. And it um, and in in whatever she posted, she ref- she mentioned being uh, vaccinated and. Uh, to maintain her confidentiality, I'm, I'm obviously um, stripping this of identification. Long story short, the anti-vaxxers came for her in a moment where she was grieving, experiencing tremendous loss. And I think that people don't understand when they send, when they post people's email addresses encouraging like people to get in touch with journalists to share their hate or when the anti-vaxxers came for her, or when the racists and sexists, uh, the bigots came for me, people don't understand that it can actually have a profound impact. It's scary, it's frightening, it's upsetting. Like for me, uh, this is not my first rodeo. I've received hate mail in the past. um, And uh, so it's not that I'm desensitized, it's more that I, have a more resilient nervous system. Like I work really hard, if you follow me online, like you'll know on like Instagram, I'm always posting about this or on my website, I talk a lot about self care and taking care of myself and really digging deep in those practices. One of the reasons I dig deep in those practices of mindfulness, yoga, breath work, uh, all kinds of self care practices that I'm doing. One of the reasons I'm so heavily into them is because It helps to keep my nervous system settled. It helps to keep me calm. It helps to keep me grounded and rooted so that when stupid things like this happen, hurtful, mean, offensive, horrible things like this happen, I'm less likely to get rattled. But if I do get triggered and activated, I can settle myself more. And so I can tell you as someone who has experienced hate messages in the past This was extremely upsetting even for me, let alone for my team. Like, it wasn't just about me. It's like, I have a team of people, members of my team, young women of color, had to cull through the hundreds of messages that we got. And so this has an impact. And I think people underestimate the impact of their actions. But number one, but also, but but let's also be clear. They want to upset us, they want to rattle us, they want to silence us. And so in some respects, it's having the exact intended impact that they're hoping. But of course, for those of us who deeply care about this work and who are activists, like I am, I'm not going to stop. This is not going to silence me. And in fact, if anything, this affirms the importance of the work that me and my team are doing.
0: How do we address this though? On a larger scale, let's remove for a second uh, left and right uh, color, uh, just for a second, and talk about this this digital mob that exists. Um, it doesn't because you know you could be somebody who is uh, you know um, Laura Ingraham, for example. I suspect she might receive hate mail. I suspect she Yes, I suspect <laughs> rather, she does. Yes, I, I right. suspect she does. Um, how do we address this as a society? Um, this feeling people have, this right people feel they have to step into your personal space and attack you like this. Is this should there be laws addressing this? Like, how do we address it? It's such a big issue.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a really good question, um, Candice, and I don't have the answer to that. I, I actually, my answer is like, I don't know, and I have been thinking a lot about this because, of course, we're in the throes of. How are we going to address this and and uh, report people and and uh, hold people accountable for their actions in this moment? And there isn't a streamlined way to make that happen. There isn't. And so, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I mean, yes, laws would help, but as a former lawyer or someone who has an understanding of the legal system, it's like. I don't even know where or how this type of accountability can be created in our legal system. So for example, I'm Canadian and I live in Canada and I can tell that the overwhelming number of messages that I've received have come from the U S and from Americans. So how are Canadian law enforcement officials able to serve and protect me as a Canadian when the hatred and is coming from the U S all over the U S like, and like, so it's like what, like, so I think it's a really complicated issue and I I don't have the answer to that. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I've been thinking a lot about this as well, it goes, um, goes back to something you were saying and asking me this question. One of the thoughts that I've had uh, around the response I've received, all the hatred, all the negative, negative messages is how unwell people are out there. Just how unwell people are. Like to, to be in a place where you watch something or you read something or Maxine uh, Bernier posts emails, addresses of people, and then you feel like it's okay or you feel like the right thing to do, or you're motivated or inspired to send a message by email, across social media, whatever, of hate and violence and racism and sexism, homophobia and more, like there's myriad ways in which people try to uh, marginalize us and offend us. You think that that's the right response or that you're inspired to do that. Like it just really, for me, was revealing around how unwell people are. Because again, let's go back to love and hate. When I see something that upsets me, or I'm offended by something, I'm like, hmm, who should I write a letter to? Or who should I, should I put an op-ed in? Or should I, where can, uh, let me comment on this. But when I do this, so I have the same response. I need to say something. I have the same response. But when I say it, I'm very mindful about how I put the words down. So when I think about like what is happening in the hearts and minds of people when they spew hatred and darkness, harm and abuse toxicity towards people, I think like what is happening in your hearts and your minds? And it just for me really underscores the level of unwellness that there exists out there in this moment.
0: Yeah, I wonder, I actually, this is going to be upsetting, I think for you, to hear again uh and but people to listen to but i i do just want to read one comment you posted this yourself um on instagram so i'm just going to read it let's just
1: say like trigger warning trigger warning everyone
0: absolutely like this is this is so upsetting but i just would Mm -hmm. like to read this for a second you are a fucking racist piece of shit fuck you white people are awesome and you are a piece of shit who needs to go fuck themselves with a big, I don't know what that says, you fucked it out. You are a hateful scumbag uh, who should take your fucking lessons and shove them up your ass, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. There is absolutely nothing in this that contributes to the conversation in any way, doesn't address any of what you're saying. It is it's 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 awful,
1: and this it's is so the angry. bulk of the messaging you received, right? Oh, like that's that's mild compared to some of it. Like that's a mild message. That was first of all, that's a very typical message that we received, and very mild as well. So, uh, because then that one that one's not as as, um, as threatening or menacing as some of the messages. Um, so you know, even when I hear those words right now, I'm like. I'm just like, what's happening with you? Like, what is going on in your life? Like, who are you? What happened to you? What's happening to you right now? Why do you think this is okay? Like, why are you so angry? Why are you so hurt? Like, I just hurt people hurt people. And I I, I can't help but think about all the hurt in the messages that have come my way. Like, I just... There's just a lot of unwellness, is what I would say, out there that causes people to talk like that. Like I just just, absolutely I can't I can't wrap my mind around it. Like I'm as you can see I'm struggling. I'm at a loss for words. Curious. Did
0: you receive any messages that were intelligently formed that addressed you know specific issues or points? Were any of those? Did any of those come through? No.
1: (laughs) No. No. (laughs) The answer is no. (laughs) Which, which, like, I think there was like one message that I read where I was like, oh, okay, like you've used really good grammar. And I see sentence structures here. And you write well. And your ideas are more cohesive and coherent than a lot of the stuff I've been seeing. But, but the answer is no okay <sighs> let's let's shift the
0: conversation a bit then, and let's get into that interview that she did or that piece that she did. I'd like to talk a little bit about Azra Nomani, who was featured in that um, interview. and she was talking about some she very well spoken she she made her points, uh listening. I was like, oh all right. Yeah, I can kind of see a little bit like uh, one of the books she held up. I was like, yeah, that's maybe a little bit sketchy. But I don't know that it's necessarily something that's going to be in the curriculum either. Um, so when you watch that whole interview in its entirety, was there anything that sort of you thought that's, you know, maybe I see the point of this person uh,
1: when they're when they're speaking? Uh, to be candid uh, with you Candace i i've watched the full 9 minutes i think like twice three times in full yeah, yeah. and i it was very activating to watch and triggering to watch and i disagreed with like like i, I like i'm i'm not about that segment like yeah the whole purpose of the segment was to discredit the work that diversity equity inclusion professionals do. It was, the the title of it, the the segment was called like- um, Diversity, equity and exclusion. Yeah, exposing the DEI racket was the banner. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that those of us who teach inclusion for a living are making so much money, corrupting the hearts and minds of children and uh, employees across organizations. We're teaching garbage. We're teaching hate. We're teaching content that attacks liberties, justice, and more. And so, through this segment, not only were DEI practitioners really highly reputed professionals, by the way, like they, they, there are other people that they targeted. Where like I read their work, I'm inspired by their work. They're like my heroes. Discrediting people's work, but also referring to you, like mentioning people who are of color who are saying, oh, we shouldn't be doing this work. So it's like the whole thing was designed to discredit inclusion work. And so here's the thing, so let, 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 let's go deeper here. The events of, that we have seen over the last two years uh, in particular in, and, and relating to the murder of George Floyd, and all the other examples of anti-black racism that we see in society in Canada and the US, in Canada, anti-indigenous racism and more, have underscored why it is that we as individuals and as team members, as leaders, need to be doing more to address racism in our society, in our schools, in our healthcare system, in education, in our workplaces, in our politics, all of it. We have had, we're constantly being reminded about the importance of being anti-racist and the importance of doing anti-racism work. When those of us who do this work are hired to work with schools and, and companies and banks and the government and more... The whole purpose of what we're doing is to help people learn about how they've internalized racial biases, internalized the belief that white people are better than people of color and people who are indigenous. Our whole responsibility in teaching this work and doing this work is to help people be more inclusive, to interrupt racism, to create cultures of belonging and psychological safety, trust, authenticity. That's why we do what we do. If you call out our work, essentially what you're saying is, we don't believe in being anti-racist. We believe in being racist. We like racism. Like, if you're gonna call out our work, that's essentially what you're doing. Or if you find a DEI professional who's like, their anti-racist work, uh, racism work is wrong and bad. Well, you're also perpetuating racism. So, So the idea here is that we need more people in our world to be vocal and supportive about anti-racism work. If you are truly interested in interrupting racism in society, you must speak out to support, to embrace the work that is being done to create an anti-racist society. So
0: this woman in the interview said, the school should be teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that is it. And that we, that you know, the critical race theory and, uh, you know, these things should not be taught in school. I personally t- absolutely disagree with her. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are a lot of people who feel that the schools shouldn't be teaching and they should just stick with the basics. So, do you want to address that?
1: Well, the basics also include history. So, why don't we talk about history and how history is taught? Uh, I went through the Canadian education system as a child, and I was taught that European explorers discovered Canada. Uh, There was a complete whitewashing of what actually happened to our Indigenous peoples. While I was in school, residential schools were open and functioning across the country. There was no mention of the residential school system.
0: I'm curious, did did you know about, did you learn
1: about it? Because I never did. No, ever. So we learned that when the uh, white explorers came to Canada, that Indigenous peoples. Died, but did, did we talk about it in the, the context of it being a genocide, a slaughter of uh, indigenous peoples? No, absolutely not. It, I had to go and seek it out to learn it. So let's talk. So so that's simply talking about the his about history. Let's talk about English. Yes, we should teach our children about English. But what about the books that we're reading uh, that we're encouraging children to read? Why are the books always rooted in a white Canadian, a white Anglo, white European? When we know that, for example, the first people in our nation were our indigenous peoples, why aren't we reading books by our indigenous peoples? We know that at least, mm, let's say, twenty-five percent of Canadian Canada's population at least identifies of color as being of color. What about English works from? Uh, people from across communities of color. So I think that's really important for us to be thinking about. But while we're talking about the education system, let's also talk about, for example, who's teaching our children? So are we in a place where we have racial, ethno-cultural diversity represented in the education system? Who's designing the curriculum? Who's leading the schools? Who's leading the, uh, the, the, the school boards? Who's leading, education, educational institutions, uh, the whole profession on a whole. So if we are going to be to, if we're actually going to say, no, we should just keep it to the basic simple stuff that everyone should get. Like, you know, the, the core stuff, the core stuff in every single thing we do in our society, including the core stuff in education, every single thing we do in society is touched by racism. It's touched by white supremacy because White supremacy is the ideology, quite simply put, that white people, whiteness, so the embodiment of white Canadian, white Anglo or white European centric ways of behaving, makes you better, more deserving, more competent and more. Then people of color, and people f- who come from indigenous communities. And so white supremacy as an ideology, a belief, a perception, it permeates every single thing we do. Like, I just gave small examples as it relates to the education system. Mm-hmm. I could break down the justice system for you. I could break down the healthcare system for you. I could break down uh, the employment sector for you through an anti-racism lens, or more importantly, break down how it is that white supremacy permeates every single system. So. We can't in our world say, well, we should just teach the core basics in, in education and like take out anything that has to do with politics or um, racism, because it's like racism touches everything, everything. You can't you cannot remove it. It's, it's the same way because I know so many of your listeners are women it's like saying, let's not focus on sexism or let's not talk about the empowerment of girls in schools or talk about the empowerment of women. Like that's a side thing, let's just teach. And it's like, no, patriarchy, misogyny, sexism. It permeates every single thing we do in our society. The same way I can break down the education system, the healthcare system, the employment sector, through uh, a lens of race i could do it on uh, do it with the, the lens of gender as well we can never detract or we can never not think about or hold sexism in our minds when we're thinking about anything in society because sexism touches everything women are viewed as inferior to men women trans women in particular and so it is ignorant to think that we can we can do this in that way that that the, the woman said in the segment
0: yeah, and, and obviously, even when it comes to education, let's just say we stick to the basics. Uh, there's still a lot of work to, to be done, as we saw this week in Toronto at the
1: Parkdale School with the teachers I mean, showing up in black space. I mean, how does this even happen? Like, I mean, like, uh, like, in Parkdale, and Parkdale, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is a very racially, ethnoculturally diverse area of Toronto. It's like... How, so and so, I, I believe. Like I don't know this person. I read the story. I was like, what in the actual? Flop? Um, I think this person knew better, but chose not to do better. And because how can you live in Toronto, teach a park, teach in a Parkdale school, and not know that blackface is wrong? Like I just like you're an educator. You you know you should know better, and and you should be doing better. So, I mean, we could just go on and on, Candice, about how. Much work there is. That oh left boy, to be could done.
0: we? And unfortunately, we do not have. I know. hours <laughs> and hours to talk. I wish we did. You're going to have to come back on the show. Um, as always, it's an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Ritu. Thank you oh, so thank much. Thank you for so much.
1: I'll oh, have you uh, it- back.
0: Thank you. Oh, I will for sure. Because, you know, these conversations, we just go off like now I want to talk about sexism. Right. (laughs) So let's get into that to the next time and and break it down. Uh, So thank you again for joining me and we'll have you back soon. Thank you so much. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars.
1: Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at TheAllyMars.com.
0: Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.